This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 170 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, as always, Stefan Butzko, and I'm joined by Mr. Lars Pollmann from Bleacher Report. Occasionally, hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hi, Stefan. A bit of a headache, but other than that, pretty good. All right. I hope that headache isn't still from the match against Werder Bremen, which we will talk about in this episode. And also here from Berlin, Mr. Luca Giel. Hello, Luca. Hello, Stefan. Everything's fine with you, or are you also a bit under the weather, or no, just, are managing a headache? Just a bit tired, but other than that, I'm I'm fine. What about you? I'm good. I mean, you're tired probably because it has been a long day for you. Uh, I'm still in Philly, so it's uh, afternoon here right now, so I'm not tired yet. Um, yeah, to uh, prepare the listeners for the content we will be spurring out. On this episode, we will obviously talk about the 2-1 win against Werder Bremen. We will preview Mainz. And also, we have to discuss the latest transfer dealings of Borussia Dortmund. Alexander Isak was signed from Sweden, 17-year-old, for 10 million. And then there was also Adrian Ramos leaving to Granada and uh, later on to China. And uh, Nevin Zobotic being loaned out to SFC Köln. But uh, I think we will talk about that towards the end of the show because now we will put our focus on the Bundesliga once again, which restarted. And uh, yeah, match day 17, basically the end of the Hinrunde. Dortmund now fourth in the league table, just one point behind Hoffenheim, meaning also one point behind the direct qualification spot for the Champions League. So Lars has uh, asked me to not ask him about the takeaways before the show. So uh, Luca, <laughs> you have the honor now. Yeah, basically you just have one takeaway. Um, I mean, we, we've all seen how bad this game was and how tough it was for Dortmund to create chances and, uh, yeah, even to defend Bremen as well. I mean, they had some pretty good chances. The, the one big takeaway I have is that it somehow takes Tuchel one half to drag one of the central midfielders a bit deeper on the field and position them a bit deeper. And it seems to always uh, improve the game. Always improve the build-up because they have uh, the numerical advantage there then and can play out of the back easier than, than otherwise. And this time it was Kagawa who played a bit deeper in the second half and it helped him, it helped the team. But I'm not sure why it always takes one half for Tuchel to adjust. Um, and yeah, that's the Maybe one. he just hopes that Weigel can do it on his own. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And then maybe he realizes he needs help. Hopes that Weigel turns into Busquets, but... Yeah, the the ironic uh, thing was that Dortmund got better and then conceded the 1-1, so, and then in the end it was just chaos, so <laughs> it didn't seem so great, but I, I thought after the, immediately after the change, immediately after Kagawa playing deeper, it got, it really got better, and yeah, I hope we'll see some of that from the start in the future. All right, to remain a little bit in chronological order after the, Takeaway brought to you by Luca Giel. Um, Lars, let's start with, 
<laughs> Lars, let's start with the lineup here. And I think the most controversial shot was uh, Götze still being on the bench. And uh, Tuchel said it was Pulisic who started uh, instead of him as he wanted to have two out-and-out -out wingers on the field. Uh, however, I feel like, uh, you know, Götze could have played instead of Gonzalo Castro. What is your take on that? Uh, first of all, I think the entire discussion is blown out of proportion just because it's Götze and everybody has an opinion on on him. People forget that he played most of the games uh, when he was healthy in the first half of the season. And then let's remember he missed some time in the training camp in uh, Spain in January and then played the final friendly match against Paderborn. He played the entire 90 minutes. So that was the Tuesday before the match against Bremen. So... I think Götze was always packed as a substitute for that game uh, by Tuchel. And then they had to sub off Marcel Schmelzer at halftime. And then he only had two subs left. He needed uh, to find a, a winner. And so the decision went towards uh, Rafael Guerrero and Usman Dembele. I don't think uh, Tuchel would have kept Götze on the bench for 90 minutes uh, if he had a third sub still available didn't have to bring on Erik Dorb for Marcel Schmelz at halftime because of injury. So to me, the entire debate in the media is completely blown out of proportion, as we've seen so often with Götze. But as you said, he could have started uh, instead of Castro, who predictably had a terrible game in central midfield. And uh, the Yeah, I heard it here first on this show. <laughs> yeah, what a shocker. Gonzalo Castro not playing to his mediocre potential. It's Mind-boggling, really. No, I, I I mean, I can understand that he wanted to play with uh, Pulisic on the right. Uh, Pulisic looked really good in the training camp friendlies, then somewhat inexplicably was rested against Paderborn, so it was natural that he started against Bremen because he was fresh, and they wanted both his agility and, and speed, but also his uh, defensive contributions because he's really good in counter-pressing uh, on the wing, which isn't Götze's forte simply because he's better when he's in central zones. And and as I said, uh, it's really not a big issue to me. I think Götze will start against Mainz now on the second uh, game, uh, in the second game out of the winter break, and then people can find another dead horse to beat. Yeah, I mean, we're now more or less six minutes into the show, and I feel like it sounds a little bit like Dortmund lost, but <laughs> that is obviously not the case. So, um, Luca. To uh, shift our focus to the more positive things on, on this show, um, Rafael Guerrero. André Schöle. Yeah, we save the best for last. Okay. Uh, André Schöle, what uh, do you think? I mean, Aubameyang now obviously crashed out of the Africans' Cup of Nations because of his terrible, terrible miss against what was it, Cameroon? And uh, Gabun, who are hosting the tournaments, are out with. Free draws, basically pulling a New Zealand there. Um, pulling a Dortmund end of the Hinrunde. <laughs> or that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Aubameyang uh, is uh, probably available against Mainz, nevertheless. Uh, how did you see Schürrle play against Bremen in the forward position? Um, I mean, he took the, the one chance he got, the one big chance he got, he took it nicely, uh, rounded the keeper and the composed finish, and that was that was huge. I, I like the general setup with Royce and him as basically two strikers. With Royce playing really centrally in 
in pressing uh, and in counter situations they both kind of gambled and just uh, ran <laughs> towards the goal whenever Dortmund won the ball and then we had two really wide wingers who are both really fast and that uh, put Bremen in some danger they just never managed to finish those counter attacks off but other than that the idea was nice I thought he had an okay game not amazing but okay um, and he scored the goal that's what you want from a striker mostly so yeah, yeah nice assist by Serge Gnabry yeah, by the way amazing pass and one quick last uh, thing on, on the Götze thing I think Tuchel wanted to manage the risk. Um, I mean, he had Socrates out there, he had Schmelzer out there, who then got injured. He had and he had some players out there. He he, you know, had to keep an eye out, and they were a bit injured or at least had a had a slight uh, knock somewhere or some problems. And he has to keep his options, and he doesn't want to make uh, three subs because of injury. Uh, so he can't play all those players who didn't train the entire in the in the training camp <laughs> but then he played Dembele so that kind of yeah but, but he subbed but he subbed him in he didn't play him from the start so no that that is true yeah. but uh you know why Götze Götze didn't play at all uh, but but yeah we yeah, we more or less I, discussed yeah it. I think you could have played Götze just as well as Dembele because there was obviously a risk playing Dembele yeah. as he didn't really train much and was just re recovering from a muscle injury as well but when you need a goal you rather want Dembele than Götze nowadays I think Yeah, says a lot about Götze though, doesn't it? Also a lot about Dembele, I guess. <laughs> And Götze's changed role, just yeah. I think if if Dortmund yeah. would have uh, still been one nil up, you he probably would have. Uh, Yeah, we probably would have seen Goethe and his, just his calming presence in midfield. Yeah, uh, that is a good point you uh, mentioned um, because Dortmund lost the plot in this game several times last. Uh, after the first 15 minutes, uh, they more or less let Bremen into the match after complete dominance. Um, but I think, uh, you know, without taking too much away, now we can put our focus on the last 15 minutes. Dortmund were 2-1 up against decimated Bremen, yet it looked like Bremen were one man more in the field and was end-to-end -end stuff. Why is the side that's actually a possession-based side not able to control and see out the game in a more calm way? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, they don't have the quality to shut down a game that they should be able to shut down. I mean, you mentioned the... the are you, in, in a roundabout way, you mentioned the sending off for Jaroslav Dropny after, what was it? <laughs> yeah, 40, 40 I, I minutes? will ask you about that later. 40 minutes or yeah, so? 39, yeah, 39, yeah. So uh, they, they were one man up for 50 minutes and with the disparity in quality between the two sides, that should really be the game. I mean, in, in that situation, Dortmund should have the quality to shut down the game, keep the ball, make Bremen run, Uh, make use of the the one man advantage and and then kill off the game with one of those uh, inevitable chances they would get in in that scenario but they just don't have the quality to do that they they looked slightly better i would say uh, after kagawa played deeper as luca mentioned in the opening and i think uh, guerrero did did okay especially considering he's really not played much in the in the friendlies i think he played a, a grand total of like 60 minutes in in two games so he is the one to do that in the future everybody hopes but uh, he wasn't available for more than i don't know what was it 25 or 30 minutes against bremen so naturally they again struggled and 
to expect him to come off the bench and, and take the reins is probably uh, expecting a bit too much of a 23-year-old in his first season who still doesn't speak the language and used to be a left-back until uh, about six months ago. So it's uh, it's all the, it's all the same as we've seen so so often this season. And the, the good part or the lucky part was that they that it happened against a terrible Bremen defense that allowed two goals that they shouldn't have conceded just like the one Dortmund shouldn't have conceded from Bremen. So I think most of us expected the game to go this way, one way or the other. You know, nobody, I, I, I don't think at least, expected a good performance really from Dortmund. And as Tuchel mentioned after the game, it's nice to to get a dirty win for, for a change because that's usually the kind of game, certainly the last six months or so, they wouldn't have won. So... Getting that win out of the way early in the Rückrunde, even after not not a good performance in any by any stretch of the imagination, that's I guess the the big positive here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think I wrote it in my preview on ESPN uh, that for Dortmund it's not about the big improvements right now, but just uh, finding three points in close matches, and that's exactly what they did. Um, Luca, nevertheless, I still want to uh, bang on on uh, the. Dortmund basically losing the plot. Um, I have a feeling they more or less lose their structure because they are hitting the panic button. Um, do you think it's more of a mental issue than a, than a quality issue in, in terms of skill? I mean, it would be weird to hit a panic button while leading, but it kind of seemed like like a mix between a mental and also a fitness issue. They, they all seemed dead in the last 10 minutes or so. Um, some players even just standing up front and didn't even track back anymore uh, while leading the game. So that was a bit weird. Um, I think it's a mix. I mean, when you have Eric Durm and an injured Socrates and Ginter and uh, on the day a bad piss check in the build-up and Weidenfeller behind (laughs) them, that's not ideal, uh, just from the personnel. And when the other team takes Weigel out of the occasion and in the end they managed to, to mark Kagawa better, even though they were uh, men down, then it's going to be tough for Dortmund, um, especially without Götze. Um, Guerrero had some nice runs and one of them should have led to a goal, but he's not the one to really calm a game down in this situation. Every time he got the ball, he just ran and ran towards the goal. It worked out most of the time, but they didn't finish off one of those chances. Um, and he's not the guy to just stop and let the ball circulate, play a few nice short passes. That's what Götze would do, but he didn't have an... Uh, Tuchel didn't have a change left, uh, didn't have a sub left, so there was no way to bring Götze on. And yeah, you kind of need those players to just bring the game to an, to an halt, basically, and end the game this way. And yeah... That's a problem. I hope I hope it'll get better with just different players, different personnel on the pitch. But it's also a mental issue. And like like Tuchel said after the game, maybe they just needed this one, uh, like Lars said, dirty win, just to see. Oh, we can win those matches, and maybe give them that will give them some confidence to play play it a bit more smoothly than they did this time. Yeah, and I would say, you know, with the luxury of hindsight, it might have not been the best idea to uh, bring on Usman Dembele. Obviously, you always have the promise of him pulling off something magic, but I felt in the 20 minutes he got in 
in the wake of uh, Marco Royce, he was absolutely terrible because he tried to dribble but just didn't have the the physique and fitness yet probably due to that muscle injury to beat his opponents and he more or less lost the ball every time he had it and uh, that of course helped Bremen to uh, yeah instigate transition attacks and that made the lo game look so back and forth especially in in the dying minutes um so yeah i i, I guess this is a problem that will fix itself easily because uh, I assume Usman Dembele will just be fit again against Mainz for example or in the weeks to come and uh, yeah in better shape than against Bremen so that is one issue but another issue um we I don't know have to talk about again is uh, Matthias Ginter playing horrific passes into no man's land that uh, land in in the feet of Werder Bremen players and start transitional attacks uh, last Is there any sort of way to uh, iron out the wrinkle to uh, stop Ginter from doing that unless you stop Ginter from playing? You really stole my thunder there, Stefan. No, there isn't. I don't think. Ginter is who he is. It's not like he's, you know, a 19-year-old making his first steps on the on the big on the big stage. I mean, he's it's this it's his third season for Dortmund. He's played in a number of Champions League matches, a number of international matches for Germany or even Germany under, under 21 tournaments and and the like the, the Olympics everybody thought or everybody at Dortmund even said that that was his huge breakthrough and now he's this changed person with with the utmost confidence in his own abilities and now he's gonna be the the Hummels replacement we we thought we bought two years ago or whatever it was he's who he is he's somewhat decent when he's on form he's absolutely horrific when he isn't and too often he's not so um, the the problem is that Mark Bartra hasn't been better in in recent months that includes also the the training camp friendlies because he was terrible in those as well and then obviously Sven Bender got injured I think there's no way in in hell Tuchel wouldn't play with Socrates and uh, Bender at the moment if they were uh, both available but Uh, as so often they aren't uh, at the same time so they'll have to make do with Ginter or maybe uh, Mikel Merino gets another another bump because he hasn't played next to Socrates I don't think oh is he still at the club <laughs> yeah he didn't go to Cologne but yeah. Nevin Zubotic did um, there were obviously uh, some questions about Nevin Zubotic and uh, concerning that aspect of Dortmund's defensive frailties but I think we will get to that later Uh, before that, I will also one. I want to talk briefly about Lukas Piszczek because he scored his fourth goal, <laughs> which is uh, I, I think a, a record he put up for himself in the season of 2011-2012 or something. And the only time he scored more goals was when he was still playing for Wisla Krakow. So as a striker, um, yeah, right? and the, uh, yeah, as a striker, <laughs> you, have to, you have to add that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, as as uh, the commentators on Fox pointed out Lukas Piszczek was the player on the field who had scored the most goals for Dortmund and he improved that record so uh, yeah that's that's kind of telling uh, I mean Andre Schüller scored his very first goal but while it's really nice that he scored the winning goal uh, you know in a more long, long term way I'm rather annoyed that he plays so many passes into the abyss not as harsh as Ginter but you know there are some passes that are just so risky that us you know as if if they go wrong Dortmund are in all sorts of trouble uh Luca is that just a thing with 
Pischek getting older, or is there hope that he will uh, cut it out again? Yeah, it's it's weird with him. Um, I know what you mean, and uh, he he's just uh, I don't know. I, I'm confused by him because he has those games like against Real Madrid where he was insane and uh, couldn't basically couldn't do wrong and was amazing in the build-up play. And then he has those games. Yeah, but that was because he he went to the inside lanes. Yeah, exactly. And you know, because Real Madrid, they they thought Pischek is the weakest link in Dortmund's build-up and gave him the ball, and he uh, yeah made lemonade. Yeah. And <laughs> not against Bremen, but but uh, or at least lemonade didn't taste very well. <laughs> um, no, he made lemons against Bremen. But um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, against Bremen, they also kind of gave him the ball, and Dortmund's build-up is. They, I don't know if they do it by plan or just because other teams uh, forced him to go there, but they often go through the right side and go through piss check, um, which annoys me because... It's, I have a hunch that's designed. Yeah, I think, but mostly by other teams. Because, yeah, that's why I meant, yeah, okay. not by Dortmund. Yeah, okay. Um, because it's easy to isolate piss check against the touchline there, mostly because Socrates plays... To place the ball for Piszczek basically every single time, even when Piszczek is under more pressure than he is, which is a bit weird as well. I think Socrates deserves some of the blame as well for, for some of, for some of uh, Piszczek's passes. But the problem with, with uh, Piszczek misplacing passes is that they are often backward passes as well. He, he passes, I don't know, into midfield or to a center back and somebody from the opposing team intercepts the ball and then there's no way to counter press. Because everyone is basically ahead of the ball and everyone wants to attack. And then the opposing team has the ball and they're just running at the back four of Dortmund. And that's really, really dangerous. I mean, Ginter, yeah, he often has weird passes, but mostly they are into the midfield somewhere and you can mostly counterpress them at least. But with Piszczek, they have often backward passes and they're... I don't know what it is, if it's a technical problem because the weight on the passes is often wrong or if it's, if it's a mental thing because in some games he's amazing and in some games he's really bad in build-up, but it's weird. And even weirder that Durham seems to be the preferred option uh, as a backup on both sides uh, and not Paslak because Paslak is actually a good footballer. So. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, in Dom's defense, I thought he had a pretty decent game yeah, after yeah. he came on. I mean, he, he's he's a solid defender. Uh, you can't argue about that. Uh, in in most games he's played, he's pretty solid. I mean, he defended solid again and at left back against Real Madrid a few years back. But offensively, it's a bit ah. Eh, it's yeah. Well, he had a couple of good forward passes. Let's give him uh, credit where it's due. Yeah, I'm I'm also just not a fan of a right footed left back. That's that also goes for for Paslak basically, but yeah, I I still think Paslak is a better, just a better football player and a better technical and maybe even smarter player than than Dorm. All right, here's a little quiz for you, Lars. Uh, there was a Dortmund player who said after the game, "I've played well. There's no need to change." Who said it and why it's wrong? That would be one Roman Weidenfeller, and I I mean for that game he wasn't wrong. He played well against Bremen, even though I think he completed. Less than 50% of his passes, but the, probably most of those were long balls, and we don't expect Weidenfeller to hit long balls, do we? Uh, but uh, the the general thought he tried to make, or the point he tried to make, that, that he should stay in goal, that there was no reason to change anything going forward, that's ridiculous, absolutely asinine, and he definitely knows better, but he's too 
proud of himself and too much of a competitor or whatever you like to admit that he's way past his glory days and that Roman Burki not only because Burki was really really good in the first half of the season but also just in general is a much better goalkeeper and not to mention a much better fit for Thomas Tuchel's style of football so I mean I can understand where he's coming from especially being a goalkeeper because those that's a position where you really need to be sure of yourself and, and be confident but deep down even Roman Weidenfeller knows he's not better than than Roman Burki and certainly not a better fit for this team at the moment. I think it was also a bit blown out of proportion what he said, the same as with Goetze. I mean, the Sky guy asked him and what is he supposed to say? I mean, yeah. I will fight for my spot, but yeah. but let's do what's best in the best interest of the team, yeah, which would have been which would have been the, the easy way out and at least he gave us a quote we can talk about, so... Well, Lars, at the end of the day, you have to respect the coach, <laughs> well, <laughs> the decision yeah. of the coach. And and the same yeah. uh, the, the same goes for Tuchel, who then said, no, Buki's going to start. That was also blown way out of proportion because, yeah, of course he's going to start. He's the number yeah, one that, keeper. Yeah, that was Tuchel <laughs> learning from the whole captaincy debate, wasn't it? Yeah, but he, he, can't do right, he can't do it right. Like, he waited too long with the captain thing, but now he was too blunt with the goalkeeper thing. What what is he supposed to do? Um, I don't know. I think that's the right way because yeah. Berkey is a clear number one, and uh, a clear number one needs to know that he is a clear number one because, as Lars just said, it's all about confidence and knowing that you are the clear number one gives you a certain amount of confidence automatically. And I think this is important. And I hope that uh, Berkey's return, which uh, should also happen against Mainz, will uh, do him a world of good. But we have to. We we have to respect uh, Weidenfeller's ability to create so much fog in Erfurt that Roman Bürki couldn't get a friendly game, and then I know. <laughs> so, but yeah, that shout out to Ed Nebelwerfer <laughs> on Twitter, by the way, <laughs> there, <laughs> who was on the show. There was probably, um, I, I mean, I, I think there was supposed to be the one friendly which they wanted to test Bürki. But I suppose he's going to play either way against Mainz. Well, he he posted on Instagram that he will be back soon, so that that must mean he will be right. <laughs> I mean, everything that's on Instagram is true, so yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, Fedor Smolov will join Dortmund now because he followed Mark Royce. So that's that's how it is. Um, but uh, someone who already was back uh, is uh, Rafael Guerrero, and this is something really nice to talk about. I feel like uh, Lars. Oh, Luca, I don't know who, who wants to talk about Rafael Guerrero's big return <laughs> as his shot got deflected and led to the winning goal. Well, you said it all, Stefan, so... <laughs> well, yeah, well... No, no, Luca, I don't, I don't Luca mentioned <laughs> earlier that he made some good runs, uh, that nothing really came of it, and his assist shouldn't go down as an assist, really, but I guess it does, so technically technically he... He totally helped. meant that. He, he turned the game around for Dortmund... As I said before, he he will take some time, presumably. I wouldn't bank on him starting against Mainz now, even though I think many people are, are hoping for it at the very least. He has he was out for for months really. I mean he missed more than half of the Hinrunde in terms of matches played. He missed thirteen and played in twelve, so as always, expectations are running extremely high because he looked so great in the, the few matches he actually played in central midfield for Dortmund, but People would do better to 
not expect too much from him right off the right out of the gate because just of the time he's missed and and as I said before he's still fairly young player in his first season at a bigger club making a position switch and and all those things need time to to get uh, to to permeate his footballing brain if you like so I wouldn't be too uh, I wouldn't have too much uh, too high expectations of him right now the main thing is that he's so uh, going to be fit in for the next international break so <laughs> can get injured again in Portugal awesome um also almost getting injured Marco Royce um I don't know if if that's still a talking point um but on a scale from 1 to 10 uh would have been a red card even if Dropny wasn't arguably the last man 10 being a clear yes and one clear no last 9000 <laughs> That's not he. He was he wasn't sent off because he was the last. He's month. not a super saiyan, by the way. Over, but yeah. Over continue, night. yeah. No, he 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 was the 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 last line of defense, but that didn't really uh, didn't really factor into the referee's decision because uh, Royce laid the ball so wide off to the side that it wasn't a clear cut goal scoring opportunity. So it was really about the roughness of the challenge and that's also reflected in the suspension he's been slapped with today which is uh, three games and even uh, a somewhat substantial fine which is rather unusual for uh, for goalkeepers especially so uh, oh he was fined yeah, i didn't actually the, know that. The, how much was that i don't i don't think they really told us usually that's kept under <laughs> over 9000 <laughs> probably I don't get that reference, but I think it's over 9,000, yes. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. But yeah, it was really, really reckless. And uh, yeah, Marco Royce, he had the mark of his studs on his thigh and was lucky to uh, come away healthy, I guess. And, uh, and then he dropped no, it, and then he dropped knee to the ground. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. It was just all the air deflating out of my lungs. Um, <laughs> but Now somebody yeah. make a Patriots joke. Nah, no. They they're making all the jokes themselves, hopefully in the Super Bowl. So um You can't deflate a falcon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we will see about that. Um but maybe we should now focus our attention back to two minds as as the as the air is out of the brain discussion. And uh yeah, that will be a fun game if the uh scoreless draw between Mainz and Cologne is anything to go by. So <laughs> last um what are your takeaways? Should <laughs> what are your ta no? But 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 seriously, what what uh, are the expectations for this game? Is should this be a clear cut win or another difficult match for Dortmund? They should you know come away with three points or, or maybe just one point. What, what what do you expect and what should the general expectations be for that game? Typical minds game, relatively tightly contested battle. With Dortmund usually coming out on the right side, I think they won five of the last six away trips to Mainz, and it didn't really feel like it. I mean, uh, I know when I looked at setup earlier today, I, I thought to myself, yeah, there must have been a few draws in there, and I think Mainz beat them a couple of times, but really they have been... I think they were more home draws for Dortmund yeah, against that, that's, Mainz. That's, also, that's, that's true, and, and, and also the the thing is with Mainz, you, you, were, you can always pretty much guess what they're going to be what they are going to play like because uh their head coach Martin Schmidt is you know the the 
the the poster boy Bundesliga coach. It's pretty much always a four-two-three-one with pressing focus and quick wingers making attacks and then hoping to hit someone on the counter. And so it's it's really never never all too surprising what they're doing. So it's it's also it's mostly a, a question of how well they are executing their game plan and how well the the few players with individual quality in that team uh, are playing and now that minds let go of uh, Yunus Mali arguably the best footballer in that team or, or maybe let's say the the best attacking footballer because they have some nice central midfielders and uh, their striker John Cordova is suspended for another two games i believe he's certainly going to miss the the Dortmund match there's not much attacking quality in that side right now so as we look at the the Dortmund game and what we can expect the problem is that Dortmund's defense has been so poor in so many games that they often inflicted danger on themselves and didn't really need a a strong opponent to to cause them too much trouble I think the same can be said more or less about the Bremen match let's remember that Serge Nabry had to be taken off after 20 odd minutes and then when Pizarro then was yeah and then when when uh, Dropni was uh, sent off Pizarro was the one coming off so the the fearsome foursome we talked about in the preview episode became uh, a drab duo with Max Kruse not doing much and Finn Bartels obviously scored a pretty nice goal for them but you know it, it wasn't the same strike force that we expected to it to be and, and Dortmund still had problems with it so it doesn't really matter who plays for Mainz. They they are going to have a few chances. And if Birki's back, that's a big, in my opinion, in this game. But uh, if you if you ask me right now, if I if I think Dortmund should come away with three points, I say absolutely. All right. So I would slightly, just slightly disagree. I think the Blazers and Mutu are actually not too bad. And uh, I also like Jairo or Muto, Samperio. Muto right now is bad just because he's right. he, he needs more match practice. He looked really off his game against Cologne. He missed a one, I think the only really big chance in the entire game that, that he could have done better with. And it looked like he and uh, De Blasis, who I would agree, I, I forgot about him for a moment because he's so small. Uh <laughs> Uh, he, yeah, like Mutu and De Blasis are like two and a half meters tall combined. Yeah, and, but I mean, they uh, they both have quality and they could play for better teams than Mainz, even though Mainz is not a not a bad club by any stretch. But uh, they didn't seem to have much of a connection, which I guess isn't too surprising considering Mutu hasn't played in what feels like about a year. So I think Mainz will be much improved uh, as the Rückrunde goes along, but there seem to be some growing pains with the new uh, formation, or not the new formation, but the new lineup or setup in, in attack with the sale of Mali and the suspension of Cordoba. Yep, lack of automatism is what we would call that. And uh, long-time listeners of the Yellow Wallport know that uh, my biggest gripe with Mainz is always their central defense. I absolutely do not rate Stefan Bell and Nico Bungert. Um I think Bungard especially is always a source for errors and uh, so far I haven't been too impressed with their goalkeeper Lussel either. So um, yeah, I think that's that's where Dortmund should put their focus on, really uh, push the buttons of Bungard and, and Bell. And I really do hope uh, there will be some 
dribbling force of Usman Dembele who could uh, test maybe the likes of of Bonga there on a on a uh, yeah right number eight position if you if you wanted so or even Mario Götze uh, you know I just want some 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 pace and some dribbling skills on on that right side. So not Mario Götze. Giet Pulisic who 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 cuts to the to the inside from from the right wing um but yeah i i think it's always had good games against Mainz, and so did marco royce if i'm not mistaken that's his absolute favorite opponent uh scoring goals i don't have the stat ten, in front of me right ten now and 15 stefan yeah there you go i remember one gets ago when Mainz were uh leader of the bundesliga back in 2010 or so yeah Mainz won seven games in a row and then gets a skirt the one nice goal yeah, yeah, Carry and on. I think he played also a great assist to Lucas Barrios yeah. in that game, and that was basically Dortmund taking over at the top of the table and more or less started yeah. the that was the fun. greatness of Dortmund. That was that was a fun game. Yeah, that was Klopp versus Tuchel back then, and you know, a big narrative of uh, who would outcoach who, and it was Klopp with his four-two-three-one and and Tuchel using the uh, Christmas tree formation, you know, mir- mirroring Dortmund's yeah. Tactical formation and yeah, that that was a, that was a fun game. I I'm not sure the the, the game on Sunday evening will be as much fun, Pro- but probably uh, not. yeah, you never know. Probably, Pro- not. probably not. Yeah, also maybe because both teams are not as as good as they were back then. Um, I'm not sure. Did Andre Schüller play then for Mainz? I can't really remember. Was he still at? Yeah, he was still at Mainz, right? Yeah, but did he play in the um, game? I don't I don't remember. Sure. I think he did, but uh, yeah. That that was just me trying to uh, oh. highlight how bad Bungert and and Bella is are because it was also Nico Bungert who uh, did the uh, crucial mistake that led to the two 0 if I'm not mistaken in in the game we just talked yeah. about in 2000. Yeah. What was it ten? So um yeah he hasn't improved since. Stefan, what did you have for dinner that day? Um I <laughs> I, 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 I remember French fries. I remember that as well. I remember that Bungert made the I, crucial I, mistake. I, I, and and I I had um. Passion fruit juice, <laughs> odd combination. I, but uh, I, yeah, I I do remember with who I watched it and where I was. So I also remember that Götze missed a huge chance before making it one. But yeah, let, let's carry on with the not the the, the present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Fine. To, to, I'm out of things to say about mines. Talking about fun so. of, about fun uh, things. Uh, mines have lots of so that's something. They have a good midfielder. That's rare in the Bundesliga. So, and I, I think Estunali is all right. Not amazing, but all right. So they have a few good players, but like you said, the, their defense is the big issue and they conceded like 30 goals, I think. Um, yeah. That's, that they're 11th in the table, conceded 30 goals, scored 26. Yeah. So yeah. minus four is the goal difference right now. So could be a shootout, but probably won't be. Could also not be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's the that's the uh, analysis. analysis you get yeah. on on the yellow one. But, uh, well, yeah. everything in the world is either ice cream or isn't ice cream. So yeah, you are very right. And on that. things are better now when I want ice cream. Things are better when they're ice cream. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's that's uh, for the philosopher of Luca Gil to decide, I guess. But uh, in in the meantime, um, Lars, tell the listeners what Tuchel should do. Is there a change? Opposed to the Werder Bremen game, you think he should make or keep it as it was? Are we talking realistic changes or, you know, whatever I want to... First, want first to the last Paulman point of view and then we will 
point out what actually will happen and what not. How about that? Yeah, so I would uh, start Paslak over Pischek at right back, give Merino a chance next to Socrates simply because I'm fed up with Ginter and Bartra didn't strike me uh, as a much better player at the moment. Start Götze and Dembele uh, in the the double eight or however you want to call that. And uh, yeah. I guess I would stick with Schöler up front just because I'm not sure how Aubameyang can uh, handle the the extreme climate change. And and I guess he traveled a bit, quite a bit the last few days, so I, I would probably stick with him. But what will happen? Let's hope Berkeley can play without uh, the the benefit of a friendly. Uh, that's obviously going to be huge. And then I think Götze will come in for Castro, and that's about it. So I don't. Uh, Dembele, I'm not sure. Uh, he would probably play for uh, Pulisic. And then the question would be uh, with the, the same as before with Aubameyang and Schole. Luca, what's your stance on the whole thing? Last just said, do you agree with his changes? Uh, yeah, I just hope he doesn't play Sh Royce and Schiller on the wings and Aubameyang up front. I wouldn't like that. Um, I think that's just... <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> yeah, just too many goal-oriented direct players, especially against a team like Mainz. I mean, if we are leading, okay, but when you have to create uh, goal-scoring opportunities in possession, that's that's not ideal, I think. But I think there might be a chance he do, he, he'll do that. We'll see, because Pulisic wasn't that great, I thought, against Bayern. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. <laughs> But, uh, you know, to give credit to Lars, he got the prediction right against Werder Bremen. So, um, you know, there's hope that he might be also right with his uh And now he's predicting a 3-0 for Mainz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Why don't you just go ahead, Lars, and predict the game? Luca just said it. All right, three and a No, actually, it's another two win, uh, for a two one win for Dortmund for me. All right, so sounds like the the most regular score for Dortmund away to Mainz, right? I don't know. I feel like it's always a two one win. Um, Luca, yeah, I was going to say two one either way. Uh, since Lars is going, saying to Mainz, uh, to to Dortmund, I'll say to Mainz, two not two one. Two one to Mainz. All right. I'm sticking with my prediction from last week. I think Dortmund will score three on Mainz and concede one. So there's that. And, uh, yeah, with, with that, we can uh, turn to the transfer dealings. Um, Boris Dortmund just signed 17 year old Alexander Isak and, uh, Luca, after studying every video you could find on YouTube, <laughs> please tell me how good he really is. I think Lars knows more about him than I do, but. Obviously, That would be yeah. shocking because I've seen all of four videos of him. So, um, yeah, I've read. I only watched one. I'm sorry. I've read Konstantin's great uh, article, and I've seen this um, video, the longer one, which is also implemented in the article. 26 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Video. Yeah, I put it there. <laughs> yeah, that's the one video I've seen. So, if you read that it's article and <laughs> look at the video, then you all you, you know as much as I do, but. Um, from what, from what I can make out, he's, he looks pretty interesting. I mean, he's a, he's a really tall guy. Um, like, <laughs> like, uh, I came out wrong, maybe, but yeah, <laughs> like continue. 190, uh, I don't know what that is in feet and inches. Me neither. Like six feet, six, three or so, something like that. Um, uh, but for his height, he's pretty technical, uh, nice dribbler, really, really fast, not, 
not as quick from the from the spot like he's his his acceleration isn't amazing but when he's uh he's got some uh you know some some space to run into he he's getting really fast obviously he can head the ball it would be a shocker if he couldn't do that if he, when you're that tall and that athletic has a nice timing uh, what i think is really important is that his first touch looks good um really important for uh, a player who's playing on the on the highest levels because you have so little space so your first touch needs to be great so you can shoot or pass pass it right away um what constantine said seems right that his spatial awareness isn't amazing um but when he sees someone he's willing to make a pass not really selfish for 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 a striker um and his passing seems fine to me um what what i think is pretty um encouraging is that his finishing isn't amazing yet but he's still scoring loads of goals which, which means uh he's getting or he's he's working for his chances and he's getting a lot of chances which is the most uh, i don't know if it's the most important but it's a really important skill for a striker and his finishing either will get better or it just variates um usually it's just one season it's good one season it's bad for most strikers so um it's important he gets his chances and in a system like Dortmund strikers usually get their chances um no matter what their name is um so yeah looks promising and he's still 17 so all the time yeah i've i've talked to hugo sundmann uh Pontus strömberg and uh per Bowman, i think is his name from afton blooded and uh, all three told me that uh his uh major asset so to speak is uh his intelligence actually that he himself is just a very smart player on and off the pitch and that this should help him so uh thanks for the input i guess i mean he chose uh, Dortmund, last, so <clears throat> Smart guy. Over Real Madrid. Yeah, last, um, maybe more general question. Uh, Dortmund now splashed out, what was it, 10 million? More or less the, the money they got for Adrian Ramos, uh, on a 17 year old. Um, do you think their strategy of investing in highly talented youngsters, I mean, uh, between 17 and 19, uh, is the way to go for them? That's kind of, kind of a lot of risk in that. That's an obvious, yes, answer. I mean, obviously it's the right move for them because they uh, are not a club that can attract players of the highest quality at the peak of their careers. So they are making the, the right move in signing players that can develop into that kind of, uh, world class, maybe, or, you know, maybe international class. Maybe a, a step below the 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 highest uh, of highs. Let's not go overboard with all these youngsters. Not all of them will become the greatest players in the history of football. But most of them. Yeah, all but Matthias Ginter, obviously. Um, so I I have no issues with uh, them spending ten million on a seventeen-year-old. It's first of all he's not a normal seventeen-year-old because seventeen-year-olds don't play. Even in Sweden, they don't. Uh, and they don't score many goals and they don't play for the national team, even though that was a very rare for European sides January national, uh, match when he, when he scored the first goal, uh, for Sweden. Um, normal 17 year olds, uh, who are actually senior players at their clubs aren't usually in, uh, in talks with Real and PSG and whoever else. So this is clearly not the normal 17 year old so 
I don't think we we have to talk about his age all that much. He's he's a talented player, very talented, if you like, and and they'll see how how that goes. And it made sense to sign someone who doesn't uh, need to play right away just to satisfy his uh, demands. Let's put it that way. I mean, he's someone who comes from the Swedish league, has a lot to learn, and uh, he will keep his mouth shut if he only plays you know, 300 minutes in, in in the second half of the season, if even that. They didn't need someone really like uh, Ramos. I mean, I personally would have kept Ramos and maybe signed Isaac in the summer if they really like him. That that would have been fine by me. But now that they sold Ramos, it was obvious that Schürrle uh, would take up some of the backup responsibilities for Aubameyang and then it didn't make sense to sign another 20-odd year old striker who would demand more playing time than Dortmund can give out at the moment so made perfect sense to sign someone to develop behind the scenes get a get a few matches here and there and then maybe Aubameyang leaves in 2019 and you have someone uh, you developed at your own club who can maybe step in then so perfect sense as I think everyone kind of agrees upon Yeah, and you mentioned it. I think uh, for Dortmund, there's just not so much risk because, as you said, Andre Schüller is already a capable backup. So, you know, they might not rely on the backup qualities of Isak, even though, you know, if he can contribute, it's great. But, you know, if it doesn't have to be, it's it's also good. Puts a little bit of, you know, pressure off the kid and, uh, yeah, gives him, I mean, time to adapt. We can only look at Emre Moore and... I mean, we all saw his qualities, but from the Danish league, it's a big step up. And I have a hunch that it will be similar to the Swedish league. Although I don't know how those two leagues compare, but watching them back in my days, more or less, you know, sporadically, I would say, uh, I, f I feel like they are pretty much the same. So, um, yeah, with, with that, we can maybe also shift our attention to Christian Pulisic extending his contract for another year. Until 2020, uh, Luca, how good or bad is it that you know he extended his contract, but only for another year? Um, I'm totally fine with it uh, that it's just just one year more because I mean until 2020, it, it's still still a long time until then. Um, still more than three years, and he's a really young player. I kind of we don't really know why it's only. Only one year more. I think he could have just extended until 2021 because the, the DFB doesn't want contracts that last longer than five years, as far as I know. So, yeah, one year less or more isn't that big a deal to me. Uh, I can see why some people don't think it's amazing, but um, for him it's smart because his transfer value is going to skyrocket if he continues like he does and his wage demand can be can will be will skyrocket as well so it's smart for him not to sign the longest contract possible because he can um wait and see where Dortmund is going in which direction and if they are going into the direction he likes and if Dortmund and if he's growing uh, at the same pace basically as Dortmund is then i don't see a reason why he wouldn't extend for another um few years And if the club doesn't grow as much as he would like, or if he doesn't grow uh, as much as the club would like, then they, they'll get money for him. So, yeah, I think it's a good deal overall. All right. I mean, certainly 
uh, it's good to know that he will hang around for Borussia Dortmund's tour to the United States in 2018. I think that would have happened either way, but now it's uh, 100% confirmed. Um, one one thing we actually didn't mention, there were reports about uh, Isak signing a deal until 2022, and then a couple of days later, there were also reports about him just signing a deal until 2019. Uh, I have a theory about that, is that, you know, his deal will automatically extend that, you know, after a couple of games playing in 2018 or such. No, that's against FIFA regulations. Uh, because he's underage, he can only sign a three-year contract, which is much of the, uh, uh, pretty much the same as Pulisic and Pasdok did. And FIFA also uh, have a regulation that there can't be an automatic extension uh, in whichever way. So the only thing Because all the Swedish media reported that it's a deal until 2022 and we can assume that Dortmund also want him uh, for more than just three years. I mean, you don't pay 10 million for a 17-year-old if you only have him for three years. So we can assume that they have a gentleman's agreement in place that he's going to sign a, an, an extended contract uh, when he turns 18, for example, or maybe in 2019, but it's just uh, FIFA regulations. They don't allow underage players to sign uh, contracts beyond three years. Ah, yeah, that's right. Now that you say that, we had the situation with Pulisic. I mean, I should have known. And with Paslak as well, and Bonic and all those guys. Um, one one quick uh, thing on the Isaac, or the Isaac, I don't know how to pronounce him. Isaac, uh, I guess. Isaac <laughs> uh, thing. Uh, should we mention... No, you don't, Luca. <laughs> should we mention the, the, the Tuchel stuff? Um, what the, <sighs> I mean, we kind of have to yeah, talk about, yeah, why not? I mean, we kind of have to talk about, don't we? It was a big thing and, but it isn't really, is it? Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't be a big, big thing. Just, just a quick, just a quick, <laughs> quick, um, <laughs> Lars is writing no in our Skype convo. <laughs> um, just, just a quick, uh, remark, uh, because maybe, uh, people from, from abroad didn't see the story because it wasn't printed in German. The Sportbild, uh, German, kind of a tabloid sporting magazine uh, reported that Tuchel basically didn't know about the Isaac transfer until the last minute. Um, and even if that was true and he kind of confirmed that it was true, that seems to be usual, uh, a usual transfer. The scouting apartment and uh, Michael Zorc in this case are looking at a, at a player and yeah, assembling a profile, looking into it if he's available And he seemed to be available in the last minute because everyone was sure he was going to Real Madrid. Yeah, I was going to say Isak thought he was... Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, for him it was last minute to join Dortmund. Exactly. And then they show the profile to the coach. Uh, he looks at it and says, yes, okay, we're going to sign him. Or nope, we are not going to sign him. And then a deal is done. That's obviously different. Like Tuchel said, it's different with players who are an immediate help. Uh, or want to be an immediate help, like I assume it's with uh, Schürrle or with Götze or guys like that, just established players. Then a coach is involved more heavily because he has to look at players he wants for his team right now. But with players like Isak, who knows if Tuchel is even around when Isak is going to uh, play in the first team regularly. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's just a general difference, for example, to the Premier League that just in Germany most of the time The way it's set up is that the club itself chooses the players, obviously in coordination with the, with the coaching staff, but it's the sporting director who directs the sporting department and thus, uh, 
yeah, gives out the grand scheme of, of uh, let's say, the club's sporting philosophy because I think the club should determine their own philosophy and style before hiring the coach and uh, thus also adjust their, their scouting department. So, you know, if they have a change on the coaching position that their general philosophy stays intact, although, you know, every coach in the game has his own strategies and his own philosophy, but overall you should have a general profile of coaches you hire and thus also a general profile of, of players you want to establish in, in your squad. So, um, yeah, I guess that, that, uh, is that. And now Lars, uh, Nevin Zobotic is going to Cologne. Yes, that's a fact. Yeah, I thought I thought you'd just continue on uh, talking about it. No, I mean, uh, there's not too much to say. It's obviously a huge loss, just in terms of the personality. And he he was a an absolute fan favorite for a reason, just because he's such a special and great guy. But because people like him, they should also feel feel happy for him that he landed with a pretty pretty good club in Cologne. I think not too far away. I think it's the perfect personality fit for him also the city me living uh, close to Cologne I can attest to the fact that Cologne is a very nice city to live in uh, especially for players of uh, the beloved FC especially when the beloved FC isn't in the second division uh, you you have a pretty cool life there and and he uh, can still work with his foundation uh, Because they they have offices in Cologne in, in in Dortmund, so it's not not it's not like he went to uh, Middlesbrough or or some other English club, and, and that would have been a, a completely different different scenario for him. I think he is going to be looking at not too much playing time right away. I think this it's it's a six month loan deal at first, but I think all all parties involved are are pretty guaranteed uh, in my opinion at least to to uh, make that permanent if if he holds up physically uh, because Cologne only have three center backs at the moment they are all, all three are really good uh, Dominic Heinz Dominic uh, Marot and uh, Frederik Sörensen they are all really good but uh, with Peter Stöger playing three at the back they they definitely needed a fourth guy they they sold Mergi Mafrai, who had played all 16 games, I think all 90 minutes in all 16 games in the first half of the season to Hamburg. So they desperately needed one. And the, as we can all attest to, they couldn't have found a better guy. The, the question is uh, how, how good a player he is at the moment because he only played a handful of matches in the last 18 months. But, uh. Yeah, he played 809 minutes on, on the Tuchel yeah. in total. And. It's not only down to him not being maybe the most favorite choice of Tuchel, but also just being injured basically all the time. But yeah, the, you know, you see, you can actually make people talk without waterboarding them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for, for, for the, for the sake of, of less petty statements, I'm actually quite glad for Nevin Zbotic because, uh, he, Obviously, as Lars mentioned, he has a foundation and uh, working with that is, is probably even more important in, in the long run than playing football. <laughs> Although that's tough to hear for a professional player, but I, I think, you know, he's doing so many good things in the world that uh, it would be sad to see their uh, yeah, less energy going into that foundation that uh, tries to uh, supply people all over the world with clean water. And yeah, that's, that's very important. So, um, 
Yeah, anything else we have to talk about in this show? No. That's a resounding no, I guess. Did we, did we appreciate Adrian Ramos last week? I can't quite remember. Yeah, I think you did in person. Yeah, actually. Then, then, then I'm fine with uh, ending the show right here. Yeah. All right, yeah. Adrian Ramos, just so we're on the record, joins Granada, but obviously that club is uh, owned by the same owner who owns, uh, is it Lao Ning or Li, Li Fan? I Li can't Fan. remember. Chongqing Li Fan. Yeah. yeah. I remember it because of all the German puns. Yeah, chokingly fun. All right, so that's it for this week. We will be back after the game against Mainz. Uh, do we have to preview then the game against Leipzig? Yes, we do. So that'll happen, I guess, next week. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I was, I was thinking in my head whether we also, we, whether we also will have to talk about, uh, the Hertha match, I think, which comes afterwards, the oh. cup game. Two really likable uh, teams after another. Nice. Just just make it a one-on-one -on -one with uh, Konstantin. Uh, it's actually a one-on-zero with him just talking about Leipzig <laughs> for 90 minutes. But then he has to talk yeah. about Hertha as well. I will get Stefan Ursfeld on the panel to talk about his Ha-Ho-He. Um, in the meantime, Lars, you can tell listeners where they can find you in Berlin. Uh, nowhere. Uh, I mean, Luca. In the meantime, Luca. <laughs> what? Oh God. <laughs> Lars, you did. Lars, Lars didn't tell me he's, he moved to Berlin. Yeah, I ju I'm just avoiding you. I'm I'm actually spending all of my time with Lewis uh, and David Schäfer, obviously. <laughs> well, well Lewis is in Hamburg right now, yeah. so Depending. yeah, that's what he tell what he's telling you. <laughs> that's what he told me. Yeah. See. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's getting late for me as well. I yeah. think so. Uh, yeah. Luca, where can a, people find you bit, on the internet? We're getting a bit silly. Um, getting. <laughs> getting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like uh, like Stefan saying Dortmund lost the plot against Bremen. They never found it. But yeah. Um, I, I want end to end stuff here on a yellow wall pot in the last fifteen minutes. Exactly. I, I I would want to be on the record as well as saying uh, farewell to Adrian Ramos. All the best to him. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Luca Gale. That is very nice of you. Uh, yeah, farewell to you too, Luca, for another week, I hope. Lars, <laughs> I'm just going to say your name now and expect you to talk. Yes, Stefan. Um, I'm making it short and sweet this week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lars Polman. All right, and you can find me at Stefan Butzko. You can follow the show at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter as well. Uh, you can also check out our Facebook page and you can find our written stuff on yellowwallpot.com where you also find all the links to the numerous outlets where this show is hosted on which is soundcloud stitcher and of course itunes and uh, yeah you can find us there via our contact form if you have questions you don't want to air on facebook or twitter so yeah there's that with that that was episode 170 goodbye until next week <laughs>